Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Okay, welcome back. We've, we've made it to our second episode, Dustin. Woo-hoo! Which, uh, you know, is two more than we thought we were going to be doing a year ago. <laughs> Today, we have uh, two more special guests that uh, people may recognize. One of our guests from the CBS News footage of Apache Troop. Uh, that is at 9.3 million views. Um, he is very recognizable because at least once a week, people comment on it saying, um, you know, that that must have been Rambo with that M60 machine gun, one hand in it, uh, or Animal Mother. Um, but actually, we have uh, high school sweethearts who stayed together through Vietnam and got married upon returning, have uh, raised a very large, beautiful family together. Uh, and we're talking to Dwayne and Mary Bloor live from Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Did I say that right? Quite. <laughs> Hello. And did, did I cover everything for anything you want to add for the for the intro? No. <laughs> All right. That's the type of great answers that are going to drive. Conversation driving dialogue. That's what we always appreciate about you, Dwayne. <laughs> and uh, I am coming to you live from the offices of Rainbows and Unicorns Entertainment, which for, um, for uh, to, to let you know, that means it's down the hall from the playroom and across uh, across from the guest room. <laughs> and my neighbor is mowing his lawn right now. So hopefully that doesn't come through, but it's the, it's the times we live in. So... Uh, and you're in New Mexico, Dustin. How's New Mexico? Yeah, I'm in the uh, I'm in the satellite studio. Uh, you can tell uh, that that's where I am because it's mud. Our our satellite offices in Taos, exactly. New Mexico. Exactly. Not legally satellite, in case the IRS is listening. <laughs> Joking satellite office. No. <laughs> so. Um, for those of you watching on, you know, we got to do my whatever hat I'm going to wear this week to cut down on the glare on my head. And since I did not make the same mistake of last week of wearing the green shirt with the green backgrounds, and I have on the black shirt, I'm going to go with my black thin blue line hat in honor of the first responders, especially my friends still working at Customs and Border Protection, a true front line of the coronavirus. <laughs> Well, actually, I'd love to take a shift at the airport right now with all international travel banned. <laughs> Seems like Standard a good... Doing nothing. Yeah. So, but we are super excited to have Dwayne and Mary. And Mary, you were quite wily. You tried to get out of this. Every time we asked you, you kept saying, Dwayne would be happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> He's but... very happy to do it, yeah. He looks very happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do what I'm told. <laughs> well, that's probably why you've stayed married so long. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but we are excited to have you, Mary, because this really is, especially with what we're trying to do with this podcast, 
I mean, yes, this is the soldier's experience, but it's the whole family's story and your experience as well. Um, you know, we'll we'll get into it, but Dwayne um, gives you a lot of credit for for helping him uh, when he came home. Um, but but Dwayne, we're gonna start with the first question, like we started with Doc, um, in terms of how you joined the army. I know there's a story behind this. Uh, that comes across in, in our movie, Apache Blues, Welcome Home. But did you volunteer for the Army, or were you voluntold? Oh, I, I uh, volunteered the draft. And in doing that, you still go wherever they tell you. It's just like, all it does is it sets you a date to get going. And so I wasn't able to, like, if you volunteer, you could pick an MOS. You may not get it, but you can pick it. But yes, yes I volunteered the draft. Would you say you were of sound mind when you volunteered? Or were there some incidents leading up to that that night that had you and your friends go and volunteer for the draft? I would have to say no. <laughs> I was not uh, a solid mind. Uh, I, I had a friend that was leaving for Vietnam. He, uh, he was home on his 30-day leave, and it's tradition in my home that we take him out and party and get him drunk and, you know, try to get him to relax a little bit. And uh, I guess we drank too much. And uh, next thing I knew, we were in Viroqua at the Select to Service Office, volunteered the draft. And I remember somebody saying something in there that, well, these guys are inebriated. And they said, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to go anyway. But uh, we were A1. You know, it was just a matter of time. So, yeah. yeah. And then you, you ended up in all the way in Vietnam and probably uh, wanted to quit drinking, huh? Yeah, that was my first thought. Of, and that was when we was on the bus headed to Milwaukee. I thought, you know, I, I probably should stop drinking this. It's, <laughs> things aren't going just right. So, Mary, for you, I mean, you guys were dating at that point, correct? Right, right. We were since I was 15. And uh, how did you take that news when he came home and said, I volunteered for the draft? Well, yeah, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. No, I was upset. But he said, the sooner I go, the sooner I come back. So he that does have a point. Yeah. That's, you know, some backward logic, but there is logic in there. Well, <laughs> not really, but. <laughs> All right, so Dwayne, you're, you're spirited off to Vietnam, uh, and we know you ended up in Apache Troop. Uh, did you go there right away, or how did you find your way there? Well, uh, once you, you get the, the Benoit, then you lay around there a couple days, and wherever they need bodies, they that's where you go and I and the first of the night in the cab they uh they took some bad 
bad, real bad hits. Uh, they had quite had some that were killed, and, and it's, this was all in one ambush. And uh, they needed seven men, so we uh, just right down the road. They said, "You seven are gonna go to first of the night." Everyone there kind of told us. He says, "You can go any place you wanna, but don't go to the first of the night." And, you know, you you always wonder why do they say that? <laughs> <laughs> They're saying it, and they need seven more people like right away. <laughs> the math's yeah. not adding up for you, huh? Yeah, it, it was adding up pretty fast, but uh, it, you know, it was all done. Then that we got our papers all in order and. We was off in the helicopter headed to Tainim. So you were, you carried the M60, the, the heavy machine gun. Had you already been trained on that before joining First of the Ninth, or was that kind of the role you fell into when you got there? Well, my MS was 11 Bravo, which is infantry. And uh, yes, uh, I was qualified with it in uh, basic and AIT. I knew, I knew a lot about it. All right. So you've joined Apache Troop. How long, you know, you land in Tainan. How long until your first mission? I believe it was uh, two and a half days. Uh, they, they issued us our equipment and uh, seemed like we did, didn't even have my bed made yet. They, they, the first thing they told us, that whistle goes off, you grab your deer, it's a scramble, and there's a down bird. So they did tell us that much, and and uh, these guys were really sharp. They they uh, explained what your job was, and uh, we had some great leadership, and and you learned fast. It was, it was all uh, OJT. But uh, you uh, you learned it very quick. So, were you introducing yourself to people on the helicopter as you're flying out there, or <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple of us was hanging around together? Uh, uh, Joe Henry from Iowa and myself, and uh, so we got to be friends right away. Wisconsin, Iowa, that's not very far apart and uh i believe we was both uh uh made uh gunners at first and m16 you know and they just, they don't want you up there in the front of the line without knowing what you're looking for yeah um so that first mission you as Apache troop would do multiple missions a week, you know, bird goes down and you're off. What was it like for you as Dwayne Bloor, the first time you entered combat, the first time the bullets started flying? Do you remember, is that, is that a day that you remember or is it, does it all flow together? Um, backing up just a little, uh, well, while I was, you know, getting my equipment and, you know, 
learning uh, some of the things to do, like the repelling and the things like that. Uh, I remember there was a couple guys running around camp there, and it, Espinano was one of them, and he had a bandaged up head. He was one of them that was wounded in the, the prior battle that that got him so short on men. And uh, he, you know, you, you like to ask these guys questions, but you, you always looked at their boots. And if their boots were all muddy and worn, you had a lot of respect for those people because you knew they'd been there for a while and you listened to what they told you. So uh, they, they did help us quite a bit before we went. But then the other question you were asking was the first time I went in. Uh, the first time we were in a firefight. We had a down bird and and uh, we were probably three clicks, two, three clicks was, it was a long way. And the the situation is we tried to get to the down bird before the NBA do, because they'll either capture or kill the crew. And it's like a race but they know we're coming and it's easy to set up an ambush when they know what line you're taking. But uh, we, like I said, these, these guys, they were, they were very good at what they did and everybody had to be, we never went in with more than 21 guys. Uh, uh, most of the time it was 16, 17, and uh, if you get hit and take a couple casualties right away, it uh, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And Mary, I'm I'm sure he was writing you religiously and 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 telling you everything. What was it like for you? You know, knowing that he was over there. That was horrible. I was I was a senior in high school at first, so um, scary, scary stuff. It was, you know, and he would write, but I don't think he told me, you know, too much, but enough that it scared me to pieces. I would write, you know, two and three times a day back to him, but it would take so long. It isn't like it is now, you know. I mean, it would take two weeks, sometimes more, to get a letter to him or from him. So sometimes I just didn't know if he was dead or alive or, you know, I did a lot of praying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you send off a question and it's a month and a half till you can get an answer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was bad. And then his best friend in high school had both of his legs blown off while he was over there. I didn't write and tell him that, but I think other people did. So it was a it was a bad time. It was really scary. Yeah. Well, you did get a up close view of what it was like for him over there, courtesy of CBS News. Right. Um, they reached out to you beforehand, right? I mean, it, you knew it was coming. 
Yeah, they did. They called early in the morning and my mom came and got me and, and she didn't know what happened. She said, they're just asking for you for the fiance of Dwayne Bloor and her eyes were huge, you know, like, oh my God. And uh, then they said that he was going to be on CBS News and that I, he must have told them to call me. And then um, it was on at seven in the morning and then it was on at six o'clock and I think 10 o'clock on Walter Cronkite. So we did, and that was scary. As you know, Craig gets shot on there. And uh, yeah, that was, that was horrifying. And I didn't know when they called me, I, you know what I thought. That was terrible. That was terrifying. But um, yeah, that was just, and then seeing him walk through the jungle. And then they mentioned that he was going to meet me in Hawaii in a couple of weeks. And uh, did you know you like meet him in Hawaii? Pardon me? Did you know you were going to meet him in Hawaii? In a couple yeah, days? yeah. Oh, yeah. We had our plans made. Yeah. He had, when we were over there, I think he had like three months left to go when he went back then. So it was, we saw a lot of things when we were over there, but he, I knew at that time that things were not right with him either. And we had plans to get married and our plans were put off because I could see that he wasn't the same person he was when he left. You married so. him anyway? <laughs> yep, married him anyway. <laughs> Just a little later. <laughs> I wasn't strange. <laughs> well, a little bit. <laughs> That's a low bar, Dwayne. That's a low bar. I had to learn really fast how to deal with flashbacks and that kind of stuff. And I was 19, so it was it was really rough. But I had the good Lord above on my side. And somehow he directed me what to do. So all right, okay, yeah. And, and we will definitely go in depth on that. Um, and, and I just wanted to ask on the CBS call, did they at least have an idea that this could be a traumatic call like the scene in We Were Soldiers when the uh, the the cab driver goes up to the door and it's just like, hey, I got this thing and you made me think my husband was dead. Did they at least kind of soft sell it or know that this was or just No, she just said that we were told to call you and let you know that your fiance would be on the CBS News with Walter Cronkite and she told me what times. And that was all she said, really. So he could be I getting metal or he could be in the hospital for all years. Right, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, it was, we really could write a book. We had, <laughs> we had a lot of stuff happen during that time. I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only if you autograph it, though, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> We sure would, wouldn't we? Yeah, if Craig writes it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from your perspective, Dwayne, um, you know, like we we're saying, that video is almost, it's over 9 million views. You know, people call you Rambo. People call you Animal Mother. And, and you know, to you, you're just, you're Dwayne. Um, and how old, you were 20 then? Yeah, you know, like we asked Doc last week, when you watch that, you're forever 20 years old. In war, um, you know, well, first of all, were you? Did you think like Doc, like whoever, who's who's ever gonna watch this? Like, what was it like for you to even have the crew along? 
Oh, yeah, I think we was all a little worried taking them along because their, uh, their presence was taking a spot up for another gun and a rifle. And I, I don't know, I think we were all a little worried. We, we were just hoping uh, that we wouldn't hit anything too bad that day or nothing at all. And uh, that didn't really work out. Well, you'd been sent back into an area you just had a massive in, uh, engagement six days prior. You know, the day that you all thought you should have died, there were so many people there. Um, so it was kind of almost foregone that something was going to happen that day. Yeah, yeah, we was a little nervous. Uh, took, you know, we was precautious and a little bit more than than you really are on any other mission, but because we all had, you got a sixth sense if something's going to happen. And I believe everyone has it, but uh, when it's it, it's just bad, and you want your best guys up front if possible, you know, just when it all goes down and 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 the guys that are behind you, you, you know they're gonna do their job and you don't even look back behind you because they've got to take care of that and they do. Well, and also um, it's very, not only famous inside that footage of you one-handing the M60 across, um, that footage of you Dwayne Blower one-handing the M60 has ended up in news, unrelated news reports. It's ended up in movies. Um, you know, the, the YouTube compilations of, of Vietnam, I'll watch it. I'm like, there's Dwayne. Um, you know, Craig likes to say that he's been shot working for four different branches <laughs> of the military in every section of Vietnam with the way that video gets used. Um, but going with that, like we talked with Doc, a lot of people think that footage is fake because how can you one hand an M60? How did they know to have the camera on you? As someone who was actually there, what do you, is there, well, not what do you, is there anything you'd like to say or how does that make you feel to, to hear comments like that? Well, a little disgusting probably, but uh we didn't do anything that we didn't do in any other mission that's exactly the way it rolled on um, just you know there was nothing set up it was, those boys were hiding under the smallest rock they could find uh, uh, they were scared and uh we was pretty well used to it but uh yeah that I remember Throckhill telling uh, one of his cameramen to get up and get some footage. And he said, kiss my ass. He <laughs> says, you want footage? You go get it. And he <laughs> ducked back down under a, a stump. Probably a smart idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in terms of one-handing that M60, it's not exactly a sniper rifle. Like, it's got a specific job, right? Yeah. 
I uh, took a liking to it right away and, and I uh, did a little work on it. And I put an aviation gun plate on it. It was lighter. And uh, in the video, I had a, a long barrel on it. I, but I normally had a cut off barrel. And, uh, but I'd burnt that up. So I had to put a new barrel on. But and then I uh, had the, the maintenance crew cut a, my springs just, I can't remember what they cut off, like six inches, five inches. And then we, then they, we stretched them. And that made it a weaker spring and it cut down the rate of fire, which I did, I wanted to save ammo with it. I just, you know, and, and my, and keep my barrel from burning up uh, if at a, you know, a lower rate. And uh, that all worked out well, but every time it went off, you had about a three feet of fire out in front of that barrel. And uh, that was probably, you know, attractive in the bush, but it, it did set a few fires. And um, that video cuts off with Craig being airlifted out and, and talking about how he's got it to get home, which he didn't. But um, that wasn't the end of your day, though. Like, Craig took off, but you guys still had to... To, to hump it out of there with the news crew. Well, what's it like for you seeing a, you know, a teammate, a fellow squad member airlifted out, just got shot in both legs onto the hospital, but you are still out there and probably doubtful you got all of the enemy. Um, you know, what's your mindset? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's very bad for the team to lose anyone, but uh, when you lose a Craig Jorgensen, that was vital to our our whole crew. It, uh, it's, I mean, that goes through your mind too. And uh, but everybody's got to continue to do their job. You really can't reflect on what what's happened. You've got to reflect on what's going to happen. And uh, we just all did our job and we, we got out of there. Excellent. Um, Dustin, I, I'm monopolizing, you go. <laughs> uh, my question is more along lines, uh, is more to Mary kind of, um, what, was, what was your mindset headed out to um, Hawaii? How were you, like what was, were you excited? Was it like a vacation? I feel like how many times have you been to Hawaii since, right? Like, like you don't go to Hawaii a lot. <laughs> I had never been on a plane. I was only 19 and I'd never been any place by myself. So to say I was excited, that's yeah, definitely. And then I hadn't seen him for all those months either. And then when I got there, he wasn't there. He didn't come till the next day. So but they took me to the officers club and let me stay there in a room and there was a lot of drunk people going by but i was all right i was safe so and the next day they had him come 
they had a big bus that pulled up and they had all these women that lined up then and then they got off the bus and they came behind us and we were actually on TV at that time. They had the news people there doing a story on us at that time. We watched them at six o'clock that night, didn't we? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was excited. There's footage of you guys in Hawaii. Yeah. Dave, we gotta go. How are we just learning this? You got to tell us these things beforehand, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have it. We saw it on their news, you know, but it was, uh, oh, that's, that's how they did it. I just got to make a note, you know, search Hawaii news people. What island? Huh? Uh, Waikiki. 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 No. All right. Oahu. Oahu, Oahu I guess. Yeah. All right. We stayed on Waikiki Beach, yeah. Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii. <laughs> so, um, how long was it until you saw the, the news footage, Dwayne? It's not like, you know, you saved it to your DVR and... Uh, <laughs> uh, did you review it on your 16-millimeter film camera later that day? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Not until I was home. I think it was when we went to the first reunion in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. They had it reel to reel and they played it for us. But I think that was the first time you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. That was what, 87, 88? Yeah. Spring up any, I mean, you're at a reunion, so you're already dealing with emotions and then you're seeing yourself on there for the first time. Did that stir anything up for you? Or were you just like, yeah, I was kind of a badass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I never considered myself a badass. I I was just part of the team. I actually figured that's the way you were going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every member of this team says, "Oh, you know, I was just I was just there." <laughs> no matter how much we try, or people don't know, there's some hidden footage of Threlkeld interviewing you. Uh, for about 15, 20 minutes, and he tries so hard to get you to say, you know, I'm a soldier and I like killing, and there oh, man. Just swipe it off left and right. Um, but you could tell at that point you really wanted, you know, no part of it anymore, and you wanted to come home. Um, and you did come home. Um, I would normally ask if you were different, but. We're going to let Mary cover that in a second. Um, but how was your greeting? Uh, everyone we've talked to, it actually does run the gamut. Like, not everyone had protesters. Some people actually got very nice welcomes back to the States. How was your welcome back from war? Well, it wasn't so good. Uh, eh, I met uh, up with uh, some protesters in Oakland. And, uh, you know, they right away I figured out they wasn't there to welcome me. And just as soon as I'd have jumped on the bird and went back. But uh, that bothers you, you know. You, it just, I think I, on another interview, I, I told you that I just stood there and, and tears running down my face and I felt they was protesters reached in and took my heart right out of my chest. I was, I was, 
I was so upset about the whole thing, you know, I, I thought I did everything I could while I was over there. And, uh, and I thought it would be appreciated. Uh, and it wasn't, but, uh, like Mary and the family that wrote, they, uh, they <clears throat> didn't really t tell me about all the protesting me. You know, they figured I had enough on my plate already. And which is, is true. That may have been a mistake though, because he wasn't prepared, you know, but I just always thought he had enough problems. We didn't need him worrying about stuff like that, but. Well, and it does, you know, like we talked to Dr. Roy Clymer who deals with PTS and what he's saying is, and he's a Vietnam veteran. Um, I want to choose my words very carefully. What happens, what he told us is what happens when soldiers go to war, like they need to be able to wrap themselves, and I'm speaking very figuratively, wrap themselves up in the flag in terms of this is a just cause. And when you come home and have people telling you it wasn't just, you know, you've basically taken away the whole platform from the soldiers, like, you know, it does, it does take away their, their sense, and, and stop me if you don't agree with this, Dwayne. Um, I would say it was probably right not to tell them because it would be, I, I feel, harmful to tell a soldier no one believes in what you're doing while they're over there. Um, what are your thoughts, Dwayne? Are you glad she didn't tell you, or? No, I, she did the right thing. I, I did have enough to worry about and and I might have did things different you know maybe then I might not have made it home then but she uh, I think she handled this all just perfect from the, the start she she had me read so there you go Mary you did right <laughs> I don't know I know when he got to Chicago though we were all waiting for him his uh, mom and his stepdad and his brothers and his sister. Well, not one brother, but one brother and his sister and gosh, I don't know, a whole bunch of family when he got to Chicago. So nothing happened there. Everybody was really good. And when he got home, home to Mount Tabor, where he was from, everybody was glad to see him. So it was just when he landed in California. Well, yeah, o Oakland was kind of the center the epicenter for it all. Oh, did we lose you? Are you there, Dustin? I'm here, yeah. Dave. Oh, nope, they were back for a second. The, the, the downfall of technology, relying <laughs> on it. That connection, slow motion. Yeah, there we go. You sounded like you're on auto tune, like the singers. We got you back. Are you back? It says your network bandwidth is low. Looks like uh, you're. Looks like you're on some drug. <laughs> That's better now. <laughs> well. Look at it. Yeah. <laughs> need some glow sticks, Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you know, a, a, a moment of levity and a, and a heavier subject. Um, like I said, normally we would ask you, Dwayne, uh, as the veteran, if you felt like you were a different person than the Dwayne who left, but Mary's Mary's already touched on this, but what were your impressions, Mary, you know, the, the Dwayne that left you compared to the Dwayne that came home? Well, he was really hardened, you know, like he would get upset really easy and he would have flashbacks of where he thought he was there. And I always would try to tell him things, you know, like call him by his nickname that his family called him when he was younger and things to kind of bring him back because he didn't know who I was sometimes. He would be just gone and uh, he would be angry at the drop of a hat and that wasn't who he was when he left. And I sometimes I just didn't know <laughs> who he was, but we worked through it. And like I say, I had the good Lord on my side to help me through it. If it wouldn't have been for that, I don't know. <laughs> but we took a little extra time and uh, we had nowhere to turn. There was nobody, the, the VA took no responsibility. And um, family and friends, they wanted him to be the same way he was when he left. I mean, I did too, but he wasn't. And it was a lot to deal with. So people just would kind of ignore it. And uh, so it was, it was a hard time. It was, he was definitely different, but we worked through it. Well, yeah, and, and PTSD wasn't a thing. I mean, not that it was, it wasn't a, medically diagnosed that you know right. the medical community didn't know that um right. shell shock um i remember when i was in elementary school i, I want to say this without sounding you know like i'm making fun of you because i wasn't born at that when i was in elementary school in the 80s one of our teachers was a vietnam vet and you know i was always like oh don't talk to him about vietnam like you know they, you know, they're going to have flashbacks and just kind of, and, and now we know that that probably was the exact opposite of how we should have treated that. Cause he definitely, he wanted to talk. He would bring in his uniforms and talk about it, but we were told, don't, don't ask him, you know? And it's like, well, this guy just told us about how he was in the army and I'm like a grade school boy. And I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. So it, when you talk about flashbacks, Dwayne, of everyone we've talked to, I'd say that you've told us most vividly, you had the most vivid flashbacks um, for well, the audience. He's been most vocal about it. What? I, I, he's been the most vocal about it. Like, he tells a better story. Well, and for the audience, what is it? Like, when you say you would have a flashback, you know, like when you were driving your truck, what would that, what is a, what is a flashback like for people who don't know? Well, other than the, the nightmares you have, you know, while you're sleeping, uh, there is, I drove semi and uh, I, I would be driving through the mountains out in Pennsylvania and, and uh, I would actually see a VC up on a rock with an RPG uh, closing in on me. And I could hear AKs going off. I've stopped halfway up a mountain, put my flashers on, pulled over, and got out underneath my truck. So that 
if that RPG hit me, uh, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't blow me all the, the heck with the, uh, my old heart rate goes up right now just, and uh, this is all so real. I mean, I, I would get up over the mountain and on, I'd get off on the first exit and I'd look over my rig over for bullet holes because I knew, you know, that I was hit several times. I could hear him thumping on the truck. Mm. And, you know, who, who do you talk to? You, you, you just, just the next there. guy who happens along? Pardon? Just the next guy who happens along? <laughs> yeah, I had that happen one time. And uh, he, he put his flashers on and I was laying on behind the duels on the tractor. I said, get, you know, get your ass down. I says, we're, we're there on both sides of the, this road. And I says, there's a guy right up there with an RPG. And I says, you, you got to keep down because they're going to get you. And he just says, you know, he says, you need some help. And he got up and left. That was the last I seen of him. Well, I... I, I realized now I needed some help, but at the time I thought he was kind of a dumbass, not to <laughs> heed my warning. And uh, there's nothing that's that's scarier than that. Well, and Mary, you you've told me uh, that he would call you after that, and and what would he say? Well, he called me and he told me. They're all around. I can just see their eyeballs. They're all around the truck. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And, you know, he, he talked like that for a while, and I tried to talk him down and tried to bring him back to reality, and he hung up. And there I am all alone with those kids, and I, I didn't even know where he was. He didn't even bother telling me where he was. I mean, he was so out of it, and I was terrified, and I had nobody to talk to or anybody to you know, to ask about it. And uh, so I just prayed a lot and then he called me back and he was better, but it was, you know, hours before he called me back. So I was terrified, terrified. And uh, there wasn't one thing I could do, you know, we didn't have cell phones then. So I had no way of getting a hold of him. And he, this happened to him a few times and he didn't want me to tell his boss about it. You know, because he could have lost his job. Right. So I, yeah. So I couldn't say anything to anybody without getting into a lot of trouble. <laughs> but it was, it was terrible. But vets that are out there, you know what I'm talking about. This is, this is a real thing. It's not a joke. And uh, after uh, all this, I went through. Uh, I tell you, if you would listen to to this uh, whole whole thing here, uh, we're trying to help you, and believe me, we can. It's it's definitely there's there's ways to to handle this, and don't ever think that that swallowing a barrel is gonna gonna do it that there's ways 
you've got to talk to it. You, and you, well, we'll probably get in more into that later on, but no, I just. I've in right now. Dwayne, have you, have you felt better since talking to us? Have you felt worse since talking to us? What, what is talking about your experience done for you? Well, I, I mainly, when I started this, I wanted to try to help other vets. Uh, and I, in the doing so, I helped myself. Uh, we, we get to talking and, and these reunions helped me so much. I, I just got to thank all the guys that's been to them and it's just seeing that everybody's okay and you can, can talk to them. You can meet their wives and their kids. And, uh, it's, uh, you don't, there's one thing about the whole thing. You don't get over it. You don't forget it. You never will forget it if that's what you think. You've got to learn to live with it. And, and you've got to learn to talk about it. I mean, this is history. And your, your family deserves to know what you went through. And then they can understand where you're at in your mind. And uh, I just thank you guys so much for uh, doing this because it's, you can't believe how much you've helped me. Well, and actually you, we talked about it, you've seen the episode that Doc did. You were one of the, the, the kind of watershed moments. You know, when you make a documentary, the, the adage is if at the end of the documentary, you made the movie you thought you were going to make, you weren't listening. You weren't listening to your subjects. You made an opinion piece. In the interview that we did with you, I remember, I don't think you moved the whole time. You had that, that chair gripped down there in Vegas until Charles turned off the camera. And I was watching you, and the second the camera turned off, I could see you just go, And then we went to dinner that night and it was the same thing with Ed the next day. We went to dinner that night and you were so animated and talking and happy. And I looked at Dustin and I'm like, there's, there's something here that, you know, that's, we didn't, we didn't start out thinking we were going to make a movie about the power of, of talking about your experiences. Um, but you guys being so open about it is what allowed us to see that. Um, so, you know, you thank us, but the credit goes to you, Dwayne, because, you know, look at Dustin with his mohawk and me with my baseball hats and everything, and you guys trusted us. And, you know, the, the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done on this movie was calling all of you guys, asking if you'd be in it, because you've never met us. You know, here's some guy calling you from Seattle, like, hey, want to tell your whole life story to a stranger for the world to see? Um, you know, what, what, I know that Craig had called people and told them that, you know, we could be trusted, but what was it like when I called you and asked if you wanted to be in the movie? Well, I think I was probably about the same as the rest of the guys. Uh, uh, once we found out what you was really after and you wasn't looking for battle stories and blood and guts uh and that you 
really. I feel that this kind of turned around as it was being made. And it's, that's when it really started helping me. It, it, and the other guys too. I, I know they felt the same way that if they could help someone like Jim Braun and Doc, I know that we've talked about it before and Tony and Craig that, you know, the, if we could talk to some of these veterans that are been on two, three, four tours, it's terrible. And it shouldn't have to be that way. It's those, those veterans are going to have problems. You can't help but have problems. And uh, if we could get with them or get them to watch this, I think we could help them take some shortcuts to a better life. Why are you, you, what Dustin? I said that's the hope. Yeah, I mean, you guys have a 50 year head start. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it is, there is a commonality, you know, to, to the experience of war. You know, it's not just Vietnam, it's World War II. Um, you know, all the way back to, you know, looking at poetry that was written by Homer about, you know, what uh, Achilles was feeling in the Peloponnesian Wars. It's the same thoughts all the way. So, and that's why I think it's really great that you guys are willing to, to say, like, this is how I feel, like, this is normal. You're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with feeling this. This is a normal thing, um, and it's okay to talk about it. Um, and for you, Mary, you know, like we said, the, the spouses are a very key important part in this. Like what advice would you give to spouses, you know, wives and now husbands with women being deployed? Well, I think trying to um, get over it, you always need something to look forward to. I think that's the key to, to getting bogged down in it. I mean, I don't want to put it that way really, but he would just get, you know, not really feeling sorry for himself, but so involved in, in thinking and letting it run through his mind all the time. And I always tried to give him something to look forward to for years. He looked forward to walking our daughter down the aisle when she got married. And um, that worked out well. We have a really nice picture of him and they, he was really, really happy that day. But some something to keep him going because sometimes he wasn't quite sure that life was worth living he just couldn't get that out of his head it went around and around and and uh, he lost a friend to some of that his friend that lost his legs in Vietnam he um, had a lot of that and I don't know somehow or other he just uh, couldn't let it go either and that's what I always told him anyway, you have something. And I always try to think of something that he could look forward to. I think you need that. I think that's one of the most important things that so that you know life is worth living well. And we had two kids that he adored and still does. And now the grandkids and all that. So he's got all that. But that's what makes life worth living for sure. Dustin? I was just going to say hunting season. <laughs> yep. Yep. And taking the kids fishing and, yeah. and 
and hunting and that kind of stuff. Yep, that's been big. So what, what do you hunt for, Dwayne? I already got it. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, I, I, uh, I enjoy deer hunting, uh, bow hunting, and uh, just being out in the woods. To, I, I don't like rifle hunting so much uh, as people could hurt you out there, you know. And uh, some will get kind of careless. And, and uh, it's, I don't know, this sudden, if I know a gun's going off, it's one thing, but I still hit the ground if something goes off behind me. I, and I realize I'll probably never get over it, which is fine. You know, I usually make a joke up and say, well, my, my wife beats me all the time or something. And, and What did you do to... No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty mean. <laughs> but uh, with the grandkids, too, it's, you know, this is... I just love being retired and and being able to be with my grandkids, take them fishing and learning them how to hunt, to teach them the way to do it. And, and they're so much help in this whole process. I'm sure they have no idea how much help they are, but uh, they're all help. Maybe they're watching right now. Maybe they are. <laughs> they ask a lot of questions. They ask them a lot. They want to know about all that. Two of them especially. But he's he's uh, doing much, much better. He's, you know, um, we have one grandson that even took that CBS video to school when he was in seventh grade. The teacher called and asked, is it, you know, is it something the kids can see? But they watched it first and then they they showed it to him and, and uh, they talked about it then in school and he told them what all his grandpa had told them. So it was. Yeah, they, they, get, they, get the, they get the funnier version of, you know, some stuff that happened. And I had one of them one time ask me, you know, uh, did, uh, did you win the war? And it's, it's the uh, the whole thing is over and over. I told him, I said, you know, nobody wins the war. Everybody loses. Both sides lose. You and it and it can't be replaced. Uh, you you get thinking about that now. If you're got an NBA laying there, you got you go through his pockets looking for papers and anything he might be carrying. Uh, I had a hunting knife I brought home. It was an American made hunting knife and he had taken it off another American. And I think that's the only thing I brought back was that knife. But I, you know, you get looking at his pictures, pictures of his kids, uh, his family and that billfold. Usually it wasn't even a billfold. They just had it wrapped in plastic so it wouldn't get wet. And uh, I think that brings 
you know, a lot of things in perspective to the way I feel now. Well, I mean, it is, you know, like we asked Doc, I'll ask you, did you declare war on Vietnam? Was that your decision? <laughs> no, no, we were just doing what we were told. No one consulted you. You weren't involved in any talks with the president. Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have probably, if I could have talked to him, I'd have probably talked him out of it, but, or tried to. But, yeah, I mean, it is, two governments didn't like each other, but, you know, on the other side, they were just guys as well and told to go do something. Yep, yep. So, um, any, I, I don't want to take too many of the questions, Dustin, although I do anyway. You always do. <laughs> your mic is better. We'll, we'll call it your mic is better. Fine. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, my, my question was, uh, I, I, all my questions have been answered, man. All right. Except, and except Mary, if you've got any pie recipes you want to share with me, I'm super <laughs> up for it. Your pie a good apple pie one. <laughs> I would hope you have an apple pie recipe, you know, Wisconsin and part right. of the USA. Right. <laughs> and, and we're looking forward to hopefully being able to come see you this summer. Um, get some more frozen custard. <laughs> that would be great. Are they called the concretes there? That's what we got last time? Yep. Yeah. That's what they yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh. I just remember sitting there. We just had this huge meal and I'm full and you're like, all right, we're going to get ice cream now. I was like, <laughs> all right. Yeah. One in Rome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was that? What was that uh, burger that you made up with the. I sent a picture to my wife. You had made mistakes, but then I had a little like dinner roll. So I cut the dinner roll in half and put the steak inside, you know, made it look like that was my sandwich and texted it to her. She's like, that is so gross. <laughs> sandwich, but I think cool. there was a pancake in there too. Yeah, but he, and, and, uh, yeah he made up his own pancake burger or whatever that was. In Louisiana, yeah, right. but, yeah, yeah. Very pancake burger. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that uh, IHOP took your. Uh, we were for uh, you know for everyone else. We were in Louisiana after IHOP did that whole I Burger thing, International House of Burgers. So we told them that you know they should make a pancake burger, and we'd gone there a couple times. And Dwayne ordered a a hamburger, but instead of uh, a bun, he got it between blueberry pancakes. And I was like, what <laughs> crap, I've been one, one talking crap. I guess I ought to get one too. <laughs> so we joked that they should do it. And I noticed uh, a couple months ago, they had pancake burgers, so. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> felt that good since. <laughs> it was fine <laughs> until it fell apart halfway through because of the whipped cream and, and syrup that Degraded yeah. bun. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah, it came. Bad decisions, Mary. They it came with a bib. Yeah, well, you know what? Maple syrup goes with everything. It was yeah. <laughs> I think Dustin ate a couple of them. I definitely had one. I can't. I can't. I can't. Actually, <laughs> I have to thank the veterans for that mini re uh, reunion we're at in Vegas. We rolled into town the first night, went to the Harley Davidson Cafe, which is, is no more, 
but they had this gigantic burger, like four patties, like the inner bun, everything. I told Dust, like, oh, you should eat that. He's like, oh, you don't get that on the first night. And he thought he was, you know, when do you go to the same restaurant multiple times in Vegas? He said, if only we were here on the last night. <laughs> and so then on the last night, you guys called us and said, hey, all the veterans are having dinner. Come join us. And I said, okay, where do we go? And you said, the Harley Davidson Cafe. <laughs> he hung up the phone and he goes, yeah! He's <laughs> like, what? I was like, no problem. <laughs> and he grabs the menu and I'm like, you don't need a menu. You're getting that burger. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of fun that trip. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you were feeling that the next day when we drove out of there, huh? Uh, I have, uh, I have never been thin again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that, I think this has been, you know, like we, we've talked about in terms of for the veterans coming home, I think what you said, you know, has a lot of merit and, and I hope people do take that to heart and that, you know, talking is really important. Um, and, you know, even if one person, even if one person hears this message and says, I'd like, you know, to talk to my wife, talk to my husband, my, my daughter, um, you know, and for you, Mary, a veteran comes, your spouse comes to you and says, I'd like to talk. What would you tell that, you know, the, the spouse or on the receiving end, how should they go about that? Well, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, like I said, something to look forward to, listen to whatever they have to say, definitely. And, you know, it's, when they come home, it was like, um, I always liken it to being uh, brainwashed, that they had to kill or be killed, something that was not, you know, them at all. And they, I think they're afraid to talk because of that, because people are going to look at them like, you know, that's awful. Well, it is, but it was either that or they'd be dead and they wouldn't be here. So it's, you need to remember if they're going to talk to you, you need to take all that into consideration and realize that, that that may be what's holding them back because, you know, it's, and it's another thing about when he came home, it was like, he was, um, the adrenaline was pumping all the time when he was over there. And then he comes home and he's like, and I'm sure this is the way it is for a lot of people. And especially where he lived, he lived in a place where it was just a tavern and a feed mill. And that was it. And then nothing is going on, you know? I mean, they, it was from being brainwashed like that and the adrenaline pumping all the time and then to come back. And I mean, it's a huge change and I don't think a lot of people think about that, but um, I think you have to, to be open-minded and listen to them and you know, not freak out, you know, with some of the stuff they tell you because they didn't want to do it. You know, for sure, it was, it was, they were being told what to do. And it was either that or they wouldn't be here. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a really good point. And, and A, it's not something like you're going to sit down and have one conversation and every, oh, everything's good. It is a process, but right. when you're talking about the mindset, it is important for people to know that. Because I think, I feel a lot of the gulf is just 
not understanding that experience. Like it is, it's just a different experience. You stayed home and were going to high school. He went off to war where it was kill or be killed. Nothing, nothing wrong with either path, but you know, like Dwayne, like you said, you hear a loud noise and you hit the dirt, but because in Vietnam, a loud noise meant there was probably a bullet coming your way and you should probably hit the dirt. Um, it's just a different experience. And I kind of liken it to, for me as a former law enforcement, when I watch law enforcement movies, I can tell within 15 seconds if it was written or consulted on someone who's actually been law enforcement or written by someone who has watched law enforcement movies and just thinks this is the way it is because there's that gulf. And so it's not understanding the other side. And, and, and I think your advice of saying, you know, there is a different experience here, understand that going in, be willing to learn about that experience, I think will bridge a lot of gaps. Um, so. And I, and I think uh, that's how we survived was, that was our job. We'd get up in the morning, we'd wait for a whistle or wait to be briefed on going in on a mission to check out a bunker complex or some movement they'd spotted somewhere. And uh, you didn't think about it. It was just, you go out and if they're, if you see them, you shoot them. And, and you, you hope you get back that night. I, uh, I remember Jack Hugley said it's, it's not like a switch you can turn off and turn on. I thought that was put rather well yeah. because you can turn that switch off on us, but it's, everything is still in motion. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go off. Yeah. He said a mouthful when he said that. I said, boy, that's it. You know, you can't. And that's where the problems come in. You know, it's almost like you were, everybody expects you to turn it off and you can't. And uh, that's yeah, it, it like the, the debriefings after you come, you know, get ready to, to ETS, the, we had no briefings. They just said, you know, have a good time. And, uh, I, and I don't, I don't know how it is now. I hope that's improved for our veterans that are coming home now. But uh, if you need debriefing, I think that other vets can help you a lot. And uh, don't be afraid to use them. Just think of the weight that comes off your chest when you can tell somebody what you did or how things were. And it takes a good listener. I was a fortunate. I had 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 one. She's been my rock ever since, and it's not easy. <laughs> he had to do this himself. He always gives me so much credit. It, it had to be him. I'm I'm gonna side with him on this, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, thanks for being America, you guys. Well. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, like uh, Dustin said, that, that covers everything for me. Um, do you have anything else popped up or is it still covering everything for you, Dustin? I'm there, man. 
All right. Do you guys have anything, uh, any last parting shots for our audience before I thank well, them for listening? Well, I would just like to say that since you guys have gotten him talking, he's way freer talking about this now. And, and like I told you, Dave, he um, talked to that girl that wanted to get a scholarship. He talked to her freely and that never would have happened before. But it's also opened things up for me too, like all the wives, um, I, we, you know, cause I never had anybody to talk to other than him. And it was just, you know, same stuff back and forth. And now I've got all those girls and I just love them. And it's just really wonderful to talk to them. So I, it's worked for both of us. So I have to say thank you to both of you guys. You're very welcome. You're welcome. Yes. Now I'm going to be like you, Mary, and say, no, I don't think it was us. <laughs> all we did, all we did was, uh, all we did was have a party. Yeah, that's that's all. We just invited you guys. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, sure we turned really on the well. camera and pointed it in the right direction. Well, Charles did all that. We're. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, we didn't do any of that, Dave. Yeah, Charles is the one behind the scenes doing everything, and then <laughs> you, you you make sure and tell him hi. Will do. And then I had a list of questions that pretty much went out the window, like. You know, 10 seconds into the interview, just go from there. Um, but, you know, so for everyone watching, uh, I'd like to thank you for, for making it to the end of the podcast. Uh, hopefully, the, you know, this was episode two. Hopefully you're like, yay, let's go episode three. You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting down with the veterans in your life, because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.